Welcome to another episode of the Programmatic Digest Podcast. We have a special guest. I know I say that for every episode, but I promise this one is also a special guest. <laughs> she is the Chief Revenue Officer of Start.io, Javi Dross. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, we actually had a lot of scheduling issues, but not on we your did. end. We Literally, we just can't overcame Wi-Fi. <laughs> But we're going to make this happen. The next 20 minutes is going to be packed yes. with a lot of mobile-specific like audience segmentation, mobile technology, mobile targeting technologies. So I'm really, really excited about today's conversation. But before we get into that, how about you refresh everyone's memories, maybe introduce yourself to those who don't know you yet in your own words. Who is Javi? What do you do in your fun times? <laughs> how did you get to where you are today? All of the good stuff. Yes. Uh, so I'm I'm Ravit. I'm based in Israel. I'm currently the chief revenue officer at Start.io. Uh, we're a mobile marketing and audience platform. Uh, one of the cool things that little I think little people know of us is the fact that we exist in over five hundred thousand apps. So wow. our SDK monetizes like a huge amount. Yeah, I know it's 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 huge. Uh, right. We mostly monetize independent developers. I know it's like. Uh, my CMO was like, don't, don't say like, we're the, you know, the, the less known monetization company out there. It was like, but yeah, it's, it's a good tagline, you know, <laughs> so I, I currently oversee the account management and sales team here at Start.io. It is, it is a hundred percent global. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, I used to live in, in Germany. Nice for five years for work yes mm-hmm. and I got started in in mobile like I my background comes from you know like the direct response type mm-hmm. of business like yeah. mobile campaigns user acquisition yeah so I've been in the industry for about I want to say nine years so got started off like you know from as an, an adopt account manager QA mm-hmm. business development mm-hmm. sales like everything at a oh. startup uh, that's where I you know learned everything I know relatively newer to the programmatic space i think about five years it's been uh for specifically programmatic but i'm, I'm a very curious person i like reading a lot and asking a lot of questions so that's me so you didn't particularly start in programmatic you started in mobile industry. exactly yeah so i started in mobile you know it was it was a very different industry back then mm. where everyone like yeah get me cheap installs i want to get like everything for a dollar cpi i'm like yeah oh, wow. sure yes yes it's all about managing expectations um and and yeah it was it was things quickly evolved i i worked with you know big names big, big brands back in the day. I still do, but completely different focus back then. It evolved. It's very interesting. I always like to say that the industry or like the mobile specific industry where I grew up in Mm. has like the apocalypse happened every four years. Um, You know, it was, it started off like a cheap, (laughs) it is is an apocalypse. You think like, okay, so getting cheap installs, great. That's not the case. And then, you know, the fraud bubble, erupted um a few years ago and that changed things quite dramatically and i think now we're on the verge of like the next apocalypse all things privacy which you know doesn't only involve mobile it's everything yeah oh my gosh that's such a great segue to what we're going to talk about today whole world of landscape of programmatic mobile media specifically um i remember like maybe seven years ago or maybe five years ago when 
mobile became really sexy to advertisers because of the reach. It was literally like you can yes. get all these impressions uh, and clicks on mobile. And then, mm-hmm. like I said, I feel like a few, a couple years after, we went through this whole, this whole like mobile clicks are trash. Do not bid on in-app and mobile. Um, and now I think we're done much better in terms of, especially measurement. So let's break it down a little bit for our folks that are maybe starting in the industry or even need a refresher like myself. How would you define what you do to like a five-year-old? Let's start there. I love that. There's like a YouTube series, right? Explains to a five-year-old, your grandmother, like a rocket scientist. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I love that. So what, what we do in a nutshell, right? Because I always try to, I always give the example of like my in-laws trying to explain to them what I do. Oh, and yeah. they think I work with an intelligence company. Um, what we do at Start.io, we monetize apps, right? So if you think about it, apps have, let's simplify it, like say three ways of generating revenue for, mm-hmm. for, the, for the developer. First one is subscriptions, right? It's, it's growing more and more and we see it. The second one is charging money for the app itself. So you download, you pay for the app, you, you don't see any ads, hopefully. And then the third one, which is the use case that's you know more, more applicable to us, are freemium apps. So you download the app, you don't pay for it. It could be mm-hmm. any any game or any any type of you know transportation or a CPG app or whatever. And then that app developer generates revenue from ads that are run on the app. Oh, got it. Could be anything. It could be banner, could be display, could be, you know, native. There's a, so many different ways of, of generating revenue. Um, and then, of course, there's the way of, of in-app uh, currency, right? You pay for coins or some sort of tra- transaction in the app, but the usage in the app itself would be free. So we, the, the company was founded in tw- uh, 12 years ago. We just celebrated our 12th anniversary um, on December 12th, oh. uh, which is cool. Happy anniversary. Um, yeah. <laughs> The bread and butter of the of the company has been the SDK. So SDK is a piece of code that's embedded within the code of the app itself. Mm-hmm. And its sole purpose is is for monetizing. Mm-hmm. We exist in the app for the sake of, of showing ads. So we support so many different types of ads. It, d- it depends on the, like, the user journey of the app itself, like the seamless, um, the better for, for the user. We don't want to piss anyone off. Um, and then about five years ago, we realized, okay, we're getting so much of this information through the SDK integration, everything is anonymized, right? Everything, we don't know the name, we don't know phone numbers, nothing that's PII, but that we can see, okay, so this user interacts with this ad and then we can segment users based on their, their behavior. Uh, um, everything is you know opt out, if you know, everything is GDPR, CCPA, et cetera, compliance. But we can say, okay, we wanna target this segment of users and that, segmentation is then used on advertising campaigns, right? So think about it as like a growth flywheel. We're in the app to monetize. We show ads, though those ads are powered by audiences, uh, which are made based, which is important to mention. And then, you know, the more advertising, the more apps we have, and then the wheel goes on and on. What's made based? I don't know if I understand that. What did you mean? Mobile advertising ID. Okay, gotcha. Advertising ID. It's it's like the it's it's the cookie equivalent in mobile. Um, got it. Okay, got it. Okay, got it. Got it. So, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. People call it different names. Yeah. Gotcha. I was gonna say is there referred to something else, but means I think I've heard mates four, so it makes sense. 
it makes sense to me. So okay. could be um, ADID is another name. Oh, okay. There's um, advertising ID. Got it. Got it. They all stay the same. Got it. But Mates this is not affected by the Google cookie deprecation issue, right? That's a really good question. So in a way it is. So what, what Google is doing, so this whole privacy sandbox thing started from the deprecation of the cookie, mm-hmm. right? The, the decision was made, like we can't tie personal information back into cookies. We need to find a different way of, of targeting. But then what happened, it was kind of like, it was very quiet and it only affected mo- the mobile industry. But what Google is doing is, is they're planning on deprecating the advertising idea as well. Yes. Similar to what Apple did with the ATT iOS 14 and, and so on. W- what Apple is doing is essentially the default is opt out, mm-hmm. meaning that your IDFA, which is the equivalent of a made um, in, in iOS, okay. is not collected. And then you get all these pops. I don't know. I'm, I'm like an Apple, Apple fangirl, so I get all these um, notifications, but for the ones of, that don't have an, an iPhone, you get all these pop-ups from apps. Like, do you consent to have, like, do you allow um, your ID to be tracked across apps? Yeah. yeah so yeah. this is like the type of message that you get. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do opt in, then it means that you can, you, your ideas can be collected and then tied back between apps. So not mm-hmm. just I, app specific, but they can track your behavior for, for advertising purposes, of course to show you ads that are relevant. What Google is planning is eradicating the made altogether. Mm. So we now have to, we're in the process of developing a brand new SDK, mm-hmm. the fledged topics, all of those things that are applicable for cookies are now also applicable for the advertising ID in mobile. And this is a very lengthy process. So Google is now releasing, I think it's Android version 13, mm-hmm. which is, is now officially out of beta. And this is a gradual process that will take a few years, but the, the end goal is to have a complete different environment for app monetization, um, SDKs specifically. Hi, did you know that at Ellen Parker Consulting, we now offer an accelerator program where we attract, recruit, and train future marketers. And their training include a six weeks program where they cover programmatic landscape, um, industry, important industry trends, the differences between targeting placement and targeting mix and their best practices, including optimization and reporting hacks. Um, and they're able to set up, manage and monitor a campaign, a demo campaign in the trade desk, everything, including audience selection, inventory optimization, SPO, creative upload, brand safety, you name it. They're able to do it at the end of the six weeks program. So If you are part of the 90% of employers struggling to find a skilled candidate today and not willing to spend $14,900 on a bad hire, according to Zipia, give us a call. Let's discuss which one of our five to 10 juniors available every month is the perfect fit for your team. Clients who have hired our juniors have shared that we were able to help them save one to two months on boarding with those juniors. Give us a call right now and let's discuss the solution with you. This is, I think, a good segue into the privacy conversation, right? Before we get too into targeting and measurement in mobile. I just want you to really break it down for us. Like talk to us like we were 
I don't know. Like we were, we were not in this industry because sometimes it gets very confusing, even for somebody as professional expert as myself. So I know that there's a slight difference between the whole privacy concern when we refer to GDPR, when we refer to CCPA, whatever. There's a different level when it comes to mobile. So can you just refresh our memory about why this even exists and then what mm-hmm. we understand with the privacy, like where we stand with privacy, especially when it comes to mobile? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for me, the biggest difference between web and mobile is, well, when you think about this, there's not that many differences, right? The only big difference is that your phone is with you Mm 24-7 and the phone consists of both like a web and app environment because you browse on your your web, even on your phone. Mm -hmm. The difference is tying all the pieces together. Um, with mobile, you have, to my opinion, a more comprehensive graph of a user because it consists of multiple touch points. Yeah. For example, some apps collect location. Mm-hmm. And we know that that information was misused in, in certain situations, which is extremely unfortunate. Like I remember I was at ProGio. It was this year. Um, a lady from from the FTC was speaking, if if I'm remembering this correctly, yeah. and she was like, "Think about your practices, and like, do, do you think, do you feel comfortable as a user of, of having this data collected and used against you? Think about your practices." And I can I can proudly say that I'm very confident of, of our practices mm-hmm. and the fact that nothing we do is tied into a PII, right? Nothing we do is tied into something that you know can theoretically put someone in danger or, or give out information that isn't, can be used against someone. Those things exist out there, but that is the big difference between web and, and mobile. I think the fact that there's a f- additional touch points that exist on mobile, because think about ourselves as users. We, we go on apps, we go on the web, we, we speak, you know, there are apps that are on our phones that have access to pretty much everything that we have. And that's not something that is really, Really exists to that extent on web specifically desktop yeah it's like location based exactly i mean you location can be collected when you're on web but it's even more granular when it comes to mobile because you're on the move you're literally on the move so now how do we from an advertiser perspective from a trader perspective somebody working from in a campaign how do we ask that question, right? How do we know if, well, now we know because we listen to the Programmatic Digest podcast and we know to start that IO into Dubon.com. But for like in the instances where you're working with other mobile partners or the SSPs, how do we make sure that we only support those that have privacy regulations or have like, like they're, mm-hmm. that they're making effort mm-hmm. or like, or professional recommendation for those people? Mm-hmm. So I, I would give out the best piece of advice that I always give out, which, which is ask questions, mm-hmm. you know, ask where the data is coming from. I can see for us, what we provide is first party data because it's, it's mm-hmm. us on the device and it is a direct handshake between us and the user. Mm-hmm. So that's the number one question. Like, where is that data coming from? Mm-hmm. And the second is, is try to understand, like, first of all, as a mar- as a trader, as a buyer, wh- what are you, what is your goal? Are you looking to target like run of network are you looking to target a specific audience you know using utilizing audiences that are you know ethically sourced is the right approach in this case because 
first of all, you know that you're reaching your right audience and nobody likes to spend budgets that are not ROI positive for them. And and this is this is, as we all know, a pain point for a lot of buyers out there and traders. You want to make sure that you're reaching the right audience and and you want to know that, okay, where, where is this data coming from? Th- those are like the two leading questions that, I, in my opinion, should be leading the conversation. Okay, yeah. So I like that answer a lot because somebody in the community that we run asked that question, like, what's the best way for me to decide which data provider, which is whether it's mobile focus or not, um, which data provider to go for by like, how do we know which one is the best? And so I give them that answer that you, you know, you're going to have to reach out to each individual, <laughs> each data provider, mm-hmm. ask them that question. I want to ask you, because I've had instances where even as a trader, I've reached out to the data provider company and I got a lot of fluff back. What would you recommend us to do in this case? Should we run, never look back, don't work with those people? Or should we push the envelope and maybe really ask? Because what I mean by fluff is that we have proprietary technology that is consent driven. Mm-hmm. Okay, but how did you get this this segment? Like, what is that? How did you know that it was my mom's soccer mm-hmm. mom? Yeah. So you should be asking this question. I mean, first of all, don't don't necessarily run right because you you might you don't know who you're asking this question and if they have access to this information because they might not and they're giving you the answer that they were given. Mm-hmm. Um, to provide to, you know, such questions. So I would ask and maybe ask to talk to someone from the product team or from the data science team, because there is a methodology behind this. Where is this data sourcing from? Are you working with first party? Mm-hmm. Is it third party? It, you, could, you could get the answer and say, okay, this is third party, which mm-hmm. is, is good. And then you're getting a testament from, from another peer or colleague or a case study that this client, this, you know, this provider is giving you. And that can give you a good enough answer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you won't know until you try, but there is always a methodology behind the scenes. Yeah. The biggest thing is just use Google, right? Look up this company yeah. and see what, what consists of this data. Mm-hmm. Um, where is it coming from? Do they have their own SDK? Are they owning or operating their own websites? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it has to come from somewhere. Okay, that's a great, uh, um, I love that answer. Okay, so here's the last question before we move into the closing segments. Uh, what would be, okay, so I've had a lot of people saying, oh, we don't use in-app inventory, mobile inventory, because we have limitation with measurement. How, how would you address mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> so measurement, I think that, you know, we, we spoke about the apocalypse, right, that, that was happening in mobile. I think one of the good things and, and one of the things that it's not really happening right now with CTV, for example, mm-hmm. it's a very similar evolution to what mobile had, I think, five years ago. Mm-hmm. You have a few different companies that are the leading mobile measurement partners out there, uh, very big. And they're the ones responsible for grading our homework. Um, mm-hmm. They're the ones there as uninterested parties to make sure that the click and the impression are indeed where they're coming from. Even if it's run programmatically, even if it's run as like a managed service, there is someone at the end of the chain that's responsible for this, for the measurement piece. Now, if you're running an app install campaign, then you would be using these one of these numbers, which are very big. Um, mm-hmm. And there's not that many of them. But I think what you're really asking is what happens if I'm running like a web to app campaign? How does mm-hmm. the measurement work in that sense? So a pixel is one answer. 
Okay. Um, which can give a, a close to good, good um, indication. Mm-hmm. But I think that at the end of the day, it's maybe combining a few different methods of measurements. So is one, and then maybe a tag, something that's in between you and, and the supply to make sure that what you're seeing and what the supplier is seeing and what the, you know, the trader is seeing is all the same. There is always room for error because, you know, it's computers at the end of the day. Yeah. It's never a hundred percent accurate. Mm-hmm. but it's it's not as complicated as it used to be. Got it. That's a great answer. So if we had to recap our conversation, what would three actionable insight be? Like what would like Ravi told us to do these three things when it comes to mobile advertising or mobile um, campaign? Yes. So number one is run, you know, run campaigns, with really accurate targeting to ensure that you're not wasting your budget on some audience that doesn't make sense. So mm-hmm. that's one big takeaway. I think in terms of like the landscape and where it's changing and where it's going at, mm-hmm. always look at alternatives. Even if you see one, one identifier versus the other, be a bit more critical about what's behind it. Because um, mm-hmm. what we're basing off now might not exist in a year. So plan way ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third one is always ask questions. <laughs> I love that. That's like the best way to end this interview because like you have no idea how many times I've had somebody said you gotta ask the question, you gotta ask the question. But like to whoever's listening, you might be thinking like, oh well, that's that's a given. But actually, it isn't. When you're in a conference room full of different leadership title, it can be even for somebody that had leadership role. It can be overwhelming. It can be very intimidating, but you have to step up and have the courage to ask the question that's going to turn everybody's brain a little bit more, or it's going to give everyone a different perspective. Like your role is very, 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 very important. Okay. Because you're managing, you're nurturing that client's role by optimizing this campaign. And so what by asking the question, you're letting them know like you have some certain level of authority and you really want, you do want to do a good job. You want to understand. So I love, 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 love asking question piece. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. let's move into the closing segment. Um, I know you said a one fun fact about living in Germany, but give us another fun fact. What would be something that nobody knows about me? <laughs> um, I can, I speak three languages. Oh. Cool. Which is not, I mean, it's not that fun of a fact, but yeah, I can. It's I speak really cool. Languages. It's really cool. Which one are they? Yeah. So Hebrew. Okay. Um, well, yeah, English and and Romanian. Oh, that is really cool. That is very, very yeah. cool. <laughs> you don't hear the, this combination very often. No, it's very, it's, it's a unique one. Yeah. So my, um, my parents immigrated from Romania to Israel. Um, they yeah. Knew, they did didn't even know it in the Hebrew. So that's, that's the Romanian part. Yeah. And then they were traveling so much. I, I had a nanny that spoke nothing but English to me. <laughs> um, so that's the English part. So I, I, I only spoke Hebrew when I went to school. Like I was, yeah. I think, four years old. Got it. Got it. Oh, wow. That's really cool. That is Good. very cool. And it's very reassuring because my first language is French. So I'm only speaking French to my toddler. And my husband is only speaking English. But we also have two other dialects that we speak. One is Creole Cabardian, so it sounds Portuguese. And one is in the country that I grew up, Senegal. They speak like the most spoken one, because there's many, is Wolof. And that sounds a little bit Arabic. 
I mean, yeah, Arabic and African. So it's, I'm always like, eventually we'll get to the other two languages. Let's lock in on those two first. <laughs> but she understands everything I say. So it's very reassuring that you can teach more than two languages. Definitely. Yeah. So I, I studied linguistics in, in university. Mm-hmm. So I know a bit about this. So kids, I think up to the age of five are like a sponge. Yeah. So whatever language you speak to them, they might pick it up later. But, you know, once they start, they'll never go back. So they like acquire the language, which is very cool. Wow. So keep it All up. Right. Well, I'm going to need yeah. to pick up the other two in the next two and a half years, um, at least. <laughs> no, <laughs> rush. no rush. No rush. There's only two additional no rush. So it's okay. Uh, well, Lavik, thank you so much for dropping by. We really appreciate you. Actually, her and I met at Programmatic IU in Las Vegas this year. So shout out to the Ad Exchanger for putting and putting us into contact. Actually, we met at the Weatherbug party, right? Or yes, we okay, did. So we met we did. at the Weatherbug party, and then we continued the conversation <laughs> the next day. So it goes to show that networking is very important. And if you're not thinking about going to that happy hour, whether you drink or not. It does pay off. Okay. So <laughs> thank you so much. It really does. If anybody had questions and wanted to reach out to you, how can they do that? So email is great. LinkedIn um, as well. Um, I'm trying to be active on Twitter. I mostly follow accounts. I don't post anything um, yet. I'm trying to gain the courage to do so. Um, <laughs> but yeah, always, always happy to meet new people and, and have interesting conversations. That is so awesome. All of the uh, information will be in the show notes or the, or the description of the video or the podcast. Thank you again for stopping by and then we'll talk to you very, very soon.